You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca/CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Look, I have mixed feelings about Vice. I have always had mixed feelings about Vice going back 15 years ago when they were a druggy little newspaper published around the corner from my apartment in Montreal. On the one hand, they were funny and the whole thing had this exciting, nasty energy to it. But on the other, they were mean. They had a bad rep back then for fucking over writers and cartoonists. Later on, as Vice's star rose, I had different mixed feelings about them. On the one hand, it was cool to see a Canadian media company killing it, growing rapidly all around the world, making media seem not quite so hopeless as a career path. But on the other hand, their business always seemed dodgy. Their claims about their circulation, their revenue, their traffic, their valuation. Vice currently says they're worth $4 billion dollars. To give you some context on that valuation, BuzzFeed, which is ranked twice as high as Vice in terms of their online traffic, is valued at only $1.5 billion. On the one hand, Vice is actually investing in news. They're hiring a bunch of interesting young reporters to cover a bunch of interesting topics. But on the other hand, it is weird for a news organization to have such a problematic relationship with facts. They've doctored their own history, disappearing every trace of their co-founder, Gavin McInnes. They make their reporters sign weird non-disclosure agreements. Their news videos have been 
edited in weird ways that suggest that their hosts, including Vice President Shane Smith, was in places, high conflict areas, dangerous places that he did not actually go to. On the one hand, Vice, in partnership with Rogers, is creating a ton of media jobs right here in Canada at a time when we desperately need new jobs. On the other hand, I have been hearing more and more from the people who have actually taken those jobs, and what I'm hearing is not all good. Okay, well, for the first time ever, two of the guys who run Vice Canada have agreed to talk with me about what they're up to here. We spoke at the RIDM Rhythm Documentary Festival in Montreal. You will hear bleeps in this conversation. These are not for swear words. We have redacted the name of a former vice employee who has spoken to Canada Land under condition of anonymity. You can read more about that in an article that sort of accompanies this podcast that is live on our website right now. And you can hear my conversation with Vice in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by James Hayes, Sebastian Butt, Chris Quirk, Dan Jovisek, Katie Van Buren, Ian Grant, Richard Ebert, David Powell, and Mike Glendon. Mike, why did you decide to be awesome? Because democracy relies on an unbiased news source that is willing to hold those in power accountable on all ends of the political and social spectrum. Canada needs this now more than ever. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen... I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is also brought to you by Giftogram, the Canadian company that makes gift giving incredibly simple. Have you not downloaded this thing yet to your iOS device? You need to do it. It makes gift giving a three-click process. One click is to download the app. The second click is to just choose the gift, and they have tested 
and curated a small and powerful list of great gifts. And the third click is just you click who you want to send it to. And then three to five days later, the gift arrives. Giftagram will ship your gift anywhere in Canada, anywhere that you can send a letter, you can send a Giftagram gift, and you can gift people in the United States. And I asked Giftagram's founder, Jason Reed, about that. You know, one of the big impetuses, again, for me was, you know, my brother, I have other family in New York, so now we've launched in the U.S. So now we actually have a whole other store, kind of like there's an Amazon.com and an Amazon.ca. Here is the part to listen closely to. Giftagram is giving listeners of this podcast 20 bucks. That is basically what they're doing because if you download Giftagram right now and use it for the first time and use the gift code CanadaLand, they will give you $20 towards your first gift. So if your gift is $20, it's a free gift. That is how confident they are that you are going to use their app again and again to give all of your gifts this holiday season. Check it out. Giftagram in the App Store. Do it. I'm Patrick McGuire, the head of content for Vice Canada. And uh, Michael Cronish, the executive vice president of television for Vice Canada. People still call you guys Vice Magazine. I don't think the name really fits anymore. What should we call you? Uh, is, it, is it Vice News? Is it a news organization? Is it accurate to call you guys like a new kind of advertising and marketing company? I mean, the way you guys integrate your content with with the brands you work with is sort of at the heart of your business model. Is that a fair characterization? Or like, should we now that you're launching this new TV channel, should we, should we think of you as a tr- traditional media company, like a, like a cable TV channel? What... How would you have people understand you? Well, but why can't it just be all of the above? <laughs> like, why is that a very hard... I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but it kind of is everything. I mean, we are an ad agency. We are a television production studio. We are uh, a broadcaster to a certain extent. We are an editorial company. We are a news organization. Yeah, and I mean, creatively, you know, I've been at Vice for eight years, and I was one of two people that started the charge to do daily Canadian written content, which I remember being very exciting at the time because we could take the Vice perspective and apply it to Canadian news on a daily basis. That evolved naturally into starting to make documentaries. You know, we did a documentary about the Chemical Valley in Sarnia. We did a documentary about Prohibition in Nunavut. And it was kind of this slow but gradual, you know, flow of of Canadian storytelling. And then, um, obviously, the Rogers deal, uh, it singularly allowed us to grow in, in every direction. And, and so now we have a dedicated Vice News team, Natalie Alcoba and Justin Ling and Hillary Beaumont and Rachel Brown and Ben. Um, but we also have, you know, digital production team that's making documentaries. And we have a television, uh, net, well, we have a television production group as well that feed into the Viceland network. So it is a little bit of everything. So let's talk about that Rogers deal. I think a lot of people were surprised at the announcement, uh, not just because uh, Rogers CEO Guy Lawrence was wearing such a cool leather jacket when he announced that he was getting down with the kids and investing in Vice. I think people were surprised to see a $100 million investment from Rogers in a news organization when every other news organization, I mean, including Rogers Publishing Arms, are laying off people left and right, and, and news and publishing is just generally considered to be a, a, a shitty contracting business in Canada right now. Mm-hmm. What does Rogers expect to get out of that, and how does that fit in for Vice? Because, like, the Rogers brand is very different than the Vice brand, which might, might be why Rogers was interested. I'm, I'm curious from a business perspective, I'm curious from a content perspective, if we can talk about that deal. Well, I think Rogers is probably going to get a good deal out of this. What does Rogers want out of it? I, they want to be partners with us. I, I mean, I think we're living in an era right now where broadcasters are cutting not only staff, but they're cutting their, um, their channels. 
Um, I wouldn't be surprised in the next year, and you probably talked about this many times on your show, uh, where we'll start to see the elimination of channel television, linear channels that um, have been around for over a decade. So why are you guys making a linear channel? Well, I mean, creatively, first of all, it's given us a really interesting opportunity to do episodic storytelling, which is a lot of fun. You know, one of the shows I'm really excited about that um, I developed alongside this incredibly brilliant producer, we um, flew in from Al Jazeera, uh, Andrea Schmidt, it's called Cyber War, and it's just about how, you know, geopolitics are shaped by hacking. Ben Maku is hosting it, and we're able to do these, you know, eight really in-depth, well, 16 now, um, really in-depth documentaries about something that I've always been passionate about and always liked to write about, and having that opportunity, it's kind of like my dream show, and then having someone who I'm such a close collaborator with, Ben, do it is, is a lot of fun. So. If you're talking about the creative side, I'm still trying to get my head around the... Uh, the... That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we can start with Michael. Um, Michael, I'm just, you know, trying to get my head around this, and, and uh, this is how I've been able to make it make sense to me. Rogers is incredibly cash-rich right now. They've got a lot of liquidity because they've just got these incredible profits of what they've been making off of Canadian uh, cell phone users and uh, what uh, I would argue is a near monopoly, or at least they're part of an oligopoly in just every aspect of telecom. So, like, they've got a lot of money right now, but the future is looking really uncertain. People are cutting their cables like crazy, and there's going to be more and more competition in the telecom space. So their revenue per user is going down, and they got to have some kind of a toehold into the future. And, like, what are they going to do, build a Rogers youth brand from the ground up? So... That, that makes sense to me that they would want to be in business with Vice. It doesn't seem like they're buying any assets or any content from Vice. It, it seems like they're buying the association with, with the Vice brand. Well, you're exactly right. They are, they are buying into our brand. That's it. That's a lot of money to, to call yourself Vice and not Rogers. I think it's going to be worth their time and their money. So how does that actually play out in, in, in practice with your content? Because you know, when you think about Vice, just sort of like, fuck you, we're going to do or say whatever we want. How does that fit into like a Rogers structure, which is like a very traditional uh, corporate media structure? Well, I mean, most of our producers and journalists probably haven't even met anyone from Rogers. Like, they're not they're not in the building. There's no checks and balances as to what we're reporting on. Um, so it doesn't. I mean, even for me, who's on an executive level, it doesn't. I don't hear from them from yeah. <laughs> if they don't like a story or anything like that. I mean, I can say that. Um, Rogers is a business partner, but editorially, there's a there's a there's um, Vice would not do a deal with a with a partner that would have a, an influence editorially on the content. And Rogers has been very respectful of uh, letting Vice produce content across all the streams independently without interference. They've been a great partner in that way for sure. Okay, they just they don't have any impact. None. Okay, I want to return to that a little bit later, but first like let's talk about the TV channel cuz this is a staggering undertaking. It's not like you're getting to kind of just like slowly level up and and start with like one show. Like you're going from 0 to a full 24-hour station. And how many shows are you making? 32 will be are being made for the network right now. They'll obviously be rolled out in quarters as we launch in in uh, late February, early March. We're making 11 out of the Toronto studio right now, um, three of which are being made by independent producers, um, which is really exciting. And uh, we're working with teams all across the country. So, you know, we've really needed to harness the strength of the production community in Canada in order to, A, find the people we need to make this stuff and, B, you know, bring us ideas when, when they're applicable. And, uh, you know, we're making a lot of TV out of New York and L.A. as well. So it's all just basically just harnessing those three studios for the most part and a little bit of help from London to put this all together in a very short period of time. So did I read that you're making 700 hours of television? No, I think we're looking at um, 
for the network for Viceland, we're looking at a, a couple of hundred hours to get get the the ball rolling. Okay, so you guys have been on a hiring spree in order to to uh, to do that, and uh, there's been a lot of people working for you. There's been a lot of people uh, coming and going, and uh, and people talk, and people talk to me, and. Uh, what I hear, and maybe this is not surprising, people who've been on the inside tell me that, that uh, it's being chaotic. And um, some have even said that um, it's, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree. Uh, I mean, you know, whoever would be talking to you probably has some sort of chip on their shoulder, I guess. But uh, yeah, I don't, th- I don't see why someone who is happy would talk to you. But uh, not, not just in general. You're a great guy otherwise. But uh, <laughs> you know the role you play. But uh, no, I mean, we went from 28 to, I mean, with contracts, like I think like 160 or 170 people. Obviously, not everyone's going to, you know, fit or work out. But, you know, we're, we're on schedule. Um, things are being made. And it's, it is a mix of people with um, TV backgrounds like Michael and, and me who have been in the vice system, so to speak, for a while. And yeah, it's not, it's not easy to, to grow fast, but I'm, I'm quite proud of the work our team's doing. And I know there's a lot of very happy and inspired people that we work with. So, Is it true that all of the uh, Canadian-made content has to be approved by Eddie Moretti and Shane Smith in your New York offices? Um, I mean, Shane, Eddie is our, you know, creative guru. So he has input in, into Viceland. Um, so, you know, and Shane obviously wants to see what we're making, but, uh, it's not really like a nanny state or anything like that. And then in digital, you know, I'm, I'm the one sort of green light, green lighting everything for Canada. Although I feel like you want to talk mainly about the TV network. There is that whole, you know, stream of what we do and a lot of documentary production and original web series that, um, we have our, totally our own sandbox in. I think that there's like uh, more scrutiny on what you do when you're, working with them like when you're online when you're doing just digital video like there's just no regulation whatsoever and you're just playing with your own money Mm -hmm. but when you kind of plug in vice to the the canadian uh, television production industry and and you start to tap the 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 funds like the public quasi public public funds that everybody um applies for and is that is is that part of how you're funding this it is yeah okay so when you're when you're using uh canadian public money i think that there are there are going to be questions legitimate legitimate questions about like what do you make of the charge that you've just got this american media company that's found a way to spend uh, Canadian public money on on content that they're going to use. Like, what value is there in this uh, for us when when you know, like, the point of these subsidies and this funding is like to, like to, to create our own television industry? Because we have a show called Abandoned, which came to us from independent producers in Vancouver with an idea that they'd already come up with. We loved it and we made it. I mean, that's that's great. Um, you know, there are concepts, show concepts that I came up with that we've greenlit and we've made. You know, there are show concepts other Canadians in the in the office have come up with and we've made. So we just, we've, there's two other independent productions that we can't announce yet, but they came to us with ideas. We love them and we made them. This isn't, you know, um, Eddie emailing us, Shane emailing us, being like, make these 10 shows. <laughs> you know, that's just not how it works. So uh, it's quite the opposite, actually. I don't mean to target you unfairly. I think that there are. That's a, a good question. I mean, there are a lot of co-productions where, where uh, you know, uh, other countries have found a way to, to you know, get access to these uh, Canadian funds. And you, yeah. Similarly, a lot of them you can you could ask the same questions of like what we're getting out of this. Like yeah, I mean uh, we're collaborators with our team in New York, you know, and they, for what it's worth, are Canadian themselves, and uh, no one's out here to like screw the system. In fact, we want to keep our doors open as much as possible. I think the challenge for independent producers, and again, um, you know. 
with three out of 11 series being uh, from independent productions, it's more than 25%, if I have my math right. Um, we want to work with as many different voices as possible because I think that's the best way to, to grow creatively and to show a, you know, a diversity. But uh, I think one of the challenges with independent producers is that we do have a specific POV. It's very hard to define. I mean, something I said to you earlier was um, one of the ways we sort of discern our pitches is if another network were commission this, we probably wouldn't be interested. So that's one of the, you know, checkboxes we have editorially and some people you know they're not really used to that I feel like a lot of meetings you know I, I've never really been on that other side of the fence shopping projects around but I think we deal with producers in a way that maybe people aren't used to in Canada so there's a bit of a learning curve but I expect as we you know establish our business and people get to know Viceland a bit more we'll be working with even more and more people from the quote-unquote outside there's a lot of interest in, in Vice as a business because uh, when you see a model that's working, everybody wants to understand how it's working and, and what's actually behind the curtain. Like converting audience, converting clicks, converting views into enough money to make really high quality content, uh, you know, to, to do journalism is a very tricky problem that, that other companies are not having that much success with. So what people are wondering about, about Vice is, is the revenue there – is it actually sustainable and profitable in, in such a way that it actually justifies this? Uh, I think that Shane Smith said it's a, a $4 billion valuation. And, you know, we don't really know what your revenue is or, or what your traffic is like. And may, I, this might be a question that, uh, you know, I, I need to ask Shane Smith. You should email him and ask him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'll get a speedy reply. Okay, but as much as you're able to talk about this, um, and maybe this is a question for you, Michael, like, what can you tell us about um, what success would mean, what advertisers in Canada are hoping to get out of this, what Rogers uh, could get out of this to justify the $100 million spend? And is it just Rogers' money? Like, is Vice putting any of its own money into this? Of course. Vice is a, is a partner and, and an investor in this business. Uh, so we're in it together. Uh, Rogers and Vice, Vice are, are complete partners, business partners in this endeavor. Um, I don't know if I can really... Are you asking for revenue numbers per year? Yeah. <laughs> What's the traffic? Like, what, what does success mean? Like, is, is there anything the public can see? Well, I mean, Vice isn't a public company per se. So, I, you know, I don't think we have, Vice doesn't have to answer to um, public shareholders in that sense. Um, I mean, I, I, think that, I think that right now what we're concentrating on is really like the, uh, the critical acclaim that we may or may not get from the content that we're producing and the ratings, the straight up the ratings. The ratings drive the advertising dollars, so there's no mystery to that business. We'll see where we, fought, where we land. Um, what we do bring is, is, it's not just the Vice brand, but it's Vice digital world, um, which is something that I think most traditional linear broadcasters are only now trying to figure out how to monetize, but we've already got that business. It is our core business. We're a digital company. So for us to go back and forth between those two platforms, let, you know, let alone uh, mobile and film and magazine, um, there's a lot of room for us to, to sort of drive this content. Patrick, I wanted to ask you about the work culture. Um, a lot's been said about it by Vice employees. Um, one word used by a Vice employee to describe Vice is a sweatshop. And, uh, and another term used by that same person is uh, that it's a cult. <laughs> Very different things. Um, I mean, sweatshop. Okay, like I, I don't, I don't personally feel like uh, our employees have that experience. Um, people work really hard. Uh, there are a lot of young people, and there's a lot of people that are really excited to work at Vice, which I think is where the the cult part comes in. Like, there's that parody account like called "I Work at Vice," and I think it's just based off of people that tell people they work at Vice too often. I mean, there are Vice rings that a lot of Vice employees wear. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like it's a sweatshop, and I feel like it is a bit of a cult. The vice employee that I was quoting back there, by the way, uh, is Shane Smith. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I don't know. He really called it a sweatshop. I find that hard to believe. He called it a sweatshop for trustafarians. I okay. All right. I'm not a trust fund kid. But people are so uh, excited to be working for Vice that the, the criticism has been that they'll work uh, for very low wages and, and they'll work uh, crazy hours. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think um, as we were growing uh, economically, it was, a, it was a little more challenging. Um, but it's, uh, I think it's a pretty great place to work right now more than ever. So I, I really don't have any, any complaints. Shane also said that Vice is uh, an incestuous family. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> Look, I want to be fair when, when talking uh, about Vice, and, and I don't think it's fair to necessarily judge you guys based on what Vice was like 15 or 20 years ago. Like, I don't think it's fair to bring up like an article once in Vice about, uh, I don't know, like an interview with a plate of spaghetti and then take a swipe at your news coverage on that basis. Like, you know, I, your founders uh, talk openly about, about Vice um, growing up and, and taking on news coverage in, in earnest. Um, mm. So I think that the, the, a more contemporary critique and, and maybe a more fair critique that has come up is uh, people have described your news coverage as conflict porn. That you guys are sort of like parachuting somebody with, with a lot of tattoos into some third world conflict zone and flip on a camera and go, holy shit, shit is fucked up over here. Look at this crazy thing. Look at this child eating a rat. Right. And then they go home. I do think that that is a fair criticism, but, you know, I, I think that uh, you have to contextualize that with what news has always done. Sure. So I think that it's it's not about singling you guys out entirely, but is it something that we can talk about where, where like – you can recognize that, that Vice has erred, and is it, is it something you're trying to kind of correct or do differently? I don't know if I would call it an error, but I do think that the um, level of our storytelling has become more complex and sophisticated as we've grown. You know, we have multiple editorial brands. Like, Vice News has a very distinct voice from Vice. Um, Broadly has a very distinct voice from, you know, well, you can't really compare it to anything else, but to, to Vice, let's say. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, we've got veteran journalists working with us. Our own journalists have learned a lot more about the world just through, you know, like Eddie says, we went to production school in public, you know, and I think that uh, we're, we are progressing out of that sort of like, holy shit, look at this kind of mode because we're, we want to do better too. And I think that's sort of the um, innate human response to seeing something complicated that people have. I think that, that it's as, as, um, parodyable as it, as it has become with things like, you know, the IFC drones show or what Onion tried to do with Edge. I think it was a genuine response to going into these places for the first time. And, and now, you know, we're, we are doing, like, you'll see some of these series we have for Viceland. Like, they are no joke. Like, yeah. I, I brought up Cyber War before because it's my passion project, but we also have a, a series called Terror that Sarush is doing, and it's basically, like, you know, an encyclopedic guide to five of the most, you know, notorious terrorist groups in the world. And these are very serious uh, stories with not many holy shit that's crazy poking with a stick whoop type moments so what the onion tried to do with edge you sassy little thing well was it successful I mean I thought it was funny I don't, I don't know what's uh, what's successful for the onion I mean it was funny uh, yeah it was I just thought it was going to be a persistent vertical and it seems to have kind of fallen by the wayside oh, I didn't know that they were going to do that all the time I don't know it felt that way because they were launching these parody accounts and maybe it was supposed to be a one-off but I don't anyway I, I love the onion <laughs> Look, Vice is asked to be taken seriously as a news organization. I, I think it's right. I think you should be taken seriously. You're making a serious investment in news. You're hiring a lot of reporters. You're putting resources behind it. You're directing your audience to news. But in taking you seriously, like, do you feel that it's fair to, to ask the same questions of Vice that I would any other news organization? Like, does that sound right to you? 
Of course. Okay, so in taking you seriously, like the, the, the issues that I ask of any news organization are about, uh, you know, accuracy and uh, about independence. And so, and so if we can circle back to, to the Rogers uh, partnership, you, uh, you, you mentioned earlier that Rogers has no bearing on your editorial. 100% zero bearing on the content. I know it can it'll blow your mind, but I have not been in one meeting where any executive has come over and said, we would prefer if you did this, or we would prefer if you didn't do that. It has never happened, and it won't happen. I have to ask you about something. Carly Lewis is someone who's worked for you? Mm-hmm. So she forwarded me this email that she got from the vice employee who was editing a piece that she was writing for you uh, about um, sexual harassment and sexual abuse in uh, the Canadian media. Okay. Here's a copy of it. Um, the part that I've highlighted here is in reference, Carly tells me, to in her original draft. She wrote about um, sexism that she experienced when she was working for a different Rogers company. It's so all going to read from the email that this vice employee sent to Carly. We had to cut that Rogers section simply because we're in transition into a relationship with them now and don't want to make that any rockier than it has to be. Actually wasn't an editor, he's a staff writer. So that was an opinion that was definitely not accurate. Uh, I remember that story. Um, it was just, it was, it was a flimsy example. It was a story mainly about the CBC and she had one uh, fairly unfounded example about Rogers, if it was any other company, you know, we wouldn't have included it just because it wasn't very well reported. So that's all it is. And this was not an opinion that was, you know, coming from me or, or any editor. Wasn't the handling editor of that piece? No. So why was she reporting to him? And why would he say that? Why would he think that he had to protect the relationship between Vice and Rogers? I'm not sure. He doesn't work with the company anymore. So... And you're saying that it's because her reporting was flimsy? On that particular example. It was a tight piece otherwise. So you're saying that it was that the Rogers uh, bit was cut because uh, the reporting was flimsy, but like she she also includes anecdote after anecdote about uh, sexism and sexual harassment of the CBC that that seem to also rely on, on just one source, and those ones were printed. Well, because there were a lot of them, you know, like there was one throwaway example here that we didn't feel was well reported. I tell you, Patrick, the trouble here is that what these emails seem to document is something that happens in just about every news organization at one point or another. The, uh, the, the, the line between church and state, um, ownership influence on content, advertiser influence on content, there's always going to be mistakes made and, and, and those lines get blurred. Mm-hmm. But when it happens in other news organizations, there's like BuzzFeed had a controversy over uh, stories, I think, that got pulled because they were critical of Dove and Dove was an advertiser. And when that got revealed, Ben Smith, the editor of of BuzzFeed, said, we screwed up completely. He took responsibility for it and he gave this extensive interview. He gave more information than anyone wanted to know about how the editorial process and the advertising process works at BuzzFeed. Mm. But Vice has a history. And I do wonder about the culture of Vice in this context, because there was a, a, a former Vice employee in the States who blew the whistle on uh, some internal emails where he was told that any story that involved a brand had to be run up a flagpole for approval. Um, there's, there's factual issues with Shane Smith saying that he started off his career as, a, as an AP uh, Associated Press stringer filing stories in Croatia. There is no evidence that that ever happened. He's never spoken to that. He never had like a moment like Brian Williams had where he said, you know, got caught on, on, on some inconsistencies and, and owned up to them. And, you know, news is the accountability business, it's the accuracy business. There's got to be accountability. 
Don't you think? I mean, right now you're telling me that this, this was uh, this was fault and this was Carly's fault. Is, is that like the level of accountability that we can expect from Vice Canada? No, I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm just saying that he was not an editor. You can see it his title right here. He wasn't editing her piece. And this is not representative of the stance we took on this on the story. But why would he say that? Why would he say that you guys were protecting the Rogers relationship? Why, why would, how would he even have that idea in his head if it wasn't true? Uh, I don't know. But uh, it's, it's not an opinion that, that I had at the time. Um, I remember the piece. We ran the piece. You know, again, it was a very well constructed story about the CBC and uh, we decided to you know keep that focus on the CBC and you guys don't feel that there's ever been an instance of uh, of Rogers influence or advertiser influence that has ever been a problem for you guys no honestly no and like I said I don't think most of our journalists have even you know encountered someone from the the Rogers side they don't influence what we're doing um, and they don't have any notes on the kind of reporting we do you know, like we're a big company. Um, it's it's hard to be held accountable for you know everyone and and everything they're throwing out there in email, but uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Like if I'm not trying to protect something or, or hide something here, um, you've got uh, someone who's obviously been scorned and has left the company, showing you something from someone who was speaking, you know, for the department when they weren't actually in that position to do so. So. Okay. Do you think these are fair questions to ask you? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're fair, but I think, I mean, just again, to be clear, like, Patrick is in charge of editorial advice, and so, you know, if he's telling you that there is no influence from Rogers, and I'm telling you, like, I, you can either accept it or you can reject it, but that is, that is really the case. No, I cannot think of one moment where we have felt any pressure from the outside to make decisions internally. We may, he makes his own decisions about what he wants to cover, what he thinks is a valid story for Vice News, Vice.com, um, but that is not, there is no pressure from the outside, outside of the, the ecosystem of Vice. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not making any claim that uh, somebody from Rogers, um, you know, picked up a phone um, and made a call about Carly's piece. Or, I mean, you know, like that's, it's self-censorship is what often happens is that people in newsrooms are cognizant of, uh, of who ownership is or who the partners are, and they make their decisions about what to cover or what not to cover, you know, uh, on that basis. And this is a document that I, you know, I, I take it that you guys, you know, don't accept that it uh, says anything larger about Vice. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll put it on our website so people can make up their own minds. Yeah, like if someone came to me with some incredibly well-reported story that showed something that any of our partners was, was seriously wrong, that's not something I would hesitate to run. Uh, but, you know, the reporting has to be there. Guys, thank you so much. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Jesse. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com, where you will find our article about Vice that will give you some more context on what was discussed on today's show, and where you can also sign up for Not Sorry, our weekly newsletter. Our crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday, and the next episode of Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like this show, please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. 
This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.